710 ESPN. ESPN. It's time for Allen to dish out tonight's top NBA stories on Lakers Talk. Lakers Talk with Allen Sliwa. If you're an NBA fan, if you're a Laker fan, you stay with me till 9 o'clock tonight. I'll make sure that you guys are all set. It's the top NBA stories with Allen Sliwa. Let's go. All right, this might be my favorite section. Might be my favorite section. I get to go all around the NBA, talk about all these different NBA stories. Appreciate you being a part of the show for Lakers Talk. Next Laker game is coming up on uh, Wednesday, actually at 3 p.m. tip-off. So Michael and I will hold the pregame show at 1.30. Uh, top NBA stories, let's start off this way. Let's make this very, very simple. The storyline in the NBA around the league here these last couple of weeks has been this Ben Simmons situation. Um so I, I got a, a very clear stance on what I think Ben Simmons should do, what the Philadelphia 76ers should do. Let, let me first kind of talk about the business side of this whole thing as well because um, it's starting to affect, uh, obviously, Ben Simmons from a paycheck perspective. Philadelphia 76ers are a good team. Ben Simmons is a good player. I'm not telling you that they're going to go beat Brooklyn or they're going to go beat the Milwaukee Bucks because that is the class of the uh, certainly that's the class of the Eastern Conference but we're also not going to pretend like the 76ers are a lottery team or something along those lines Philadelphia 76ers are going to withhold 8.25 million dollars owed to Ben Simmons amid uh, this this holdout that Ben Simmons has had um, so it's 25% of his contract that's going to go into an escrow account. We'll see if they all get it figured out. I know he's going to start getting fined some major money as well. I think if I read this right, if Simmons doesn't return to the team before the game today, actually, so I'm pretty sure that he hasn't returned, obviously, he'll be fined roughly $227,000. So we'll see what happens here moving forward with Ben Simmons. But can I just make this very simple for everybody here? I, I like looking out for the player. And when I say I like looking out for the player, basically what I mean is this. Obviously, the team's going to look out for their best interests. Obviously, uh, from a from a financial perspective, each one of these owners are doing just fine. Whatever they bought the team for, who knows how much the value is. Michael and I sometimes will do in the pregame show. He'll say, all right, the, this owner bought the team for X amount of dollars in 1988. What's it worth now? And it's worth, you know, a couple billion dollars or whatever the case is. Ben Simmons got to report to camp. He just has to. He's got to go get his money. Like, I, I don't know how else to put this. Ben Simmons has to go get his money. You know, there's a certain amount. This is just kind of contracts from the NBA. Um, and I understand how young he is. He's only 25 years old. I completely understand where people sit back and say, oh, my gosh, the guy is getting $35-plus million or whatever he's going to make this year. I know no one's trying to feel sorry for a man making that much money. I get all that. But if you're Ben Simmons, you're not helping yourself out here. Tell me how you're helping yourself out. You're upset at the organization, which, by the way, I agree with Ben Simmons on. Doc Rivers did not stand up for Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid, when they lost that playoff game, did not stand up for Ben Simmons. He feels betrayed by that team. He feels betrayed by that organization from a coach and the other superstar. I understand all that. If I'm Ben Simmons, I'm reporting to camp and behind the scenes I'm creating all other fireworks of how I'm going to get my you-know-what out of Philadelphia. You could still do that. But what you shouldn't do is hand back all that money that you've earned that should be coming to you, that should be in your in your bank account, handing it right back to the Philadelphia 76ers. He probably thinks in his agent, he's part of Clutch Sports, Rich Paul, he probably thinks, well, eventually I'm going to get traded and I'll get that money back. But, man, it's a, it's, it's a tough one to kind of watch unfold because – I agree with Ben Simmons on how he was disrespected. 
by the Philadelphia 76ers, certainly like I mentioned, Doc Rivers, and by Joel Embiid. And that's not to justify Ben Simmons never shooting a jumper. I'm not sitting here trying to justify any of that. But you either are going to go to war with your team or you're not. I don't feel like the Sixers did with Ben Simmons. He's obviously heard about that. At the end of the day, go get your money. Figure it out behind the scenes of how the hell you walk away from the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay, another NBA story that I want to look into. Do you know the vaccination rate for the NBA is now at 95%? And the the reason, there's a couple storylines behind this. First of all, 95%, that seems like an incredible, that seems like a very, very, very effective percentage for an NBA organization, right? You look at the players union that represents the players. You look at the owners. They try to come to an agreement as best as they can. They're trying to keep the NBA game moving. They want to maximize their profits. They want to make sure they can put as many fans in arenas. I went to Staples Center yesterday. Very simple. I had to show my vaccination card. Okay, that's how I got in. Everybody's on that boat. Um, The 95 percentage rate is incredibly impressive, and we know there's a couple names out there that have been all over the media that either have not got vaccinated or thinking about getting vaccinated. One of those players was Andrew Wiggins. So Andrew Wiggins, part of the Golden State Warriors, um, he just got vaccinated. So something Steve Kerr said, this was yesterday, Andrew got vaccinated. He just told me today that he is fine with us acknowledging it and that... um, and that will be the end of it. I'm not going to answer any questions beyond that. So all you really need to know about Andrew Wiggins is he is vaccinated. The reason why I bring this up, first of all, it's been a storyline around the NBA. The other player that has not been vaccinated is Kyrie Irving. So the Lakers obviously played uh, the Brooklyn Nets yesterday. And Kyrie's going to be a different story. But I thought the Andrew Wiggins ones, and, and just so you guys understand, if you're a Laker fan or NBA fan out there, I'm just talking about this from a basketball perspective. Andrew Wiggins is an important piece for the Warriors. And if Andrew Wiggins is an important piece, whether he's on the court or he's a part of some type of trade that the Golden State Warriors want to compete with the Lakers this year, Clay Thompson's going to try to make a return later in the season. Um, for, for those reasons, whether he's on the court or he's a, a piece to be traded, he's important for the Golden State Warriors. If he wasn't available or he was missing all the home games, that's obviously a significant loss of the Golden State Warriors on the basketball floor. He's going to be there. Kyrie Irving, um, this one is still a question mark. I read today, uh, Tim Bontemps and Bobby Marks put out this article on ESPN today, that the NBA and the NBA Players Association have agreed to a reduction in pay of one of 91.6 of a player's salary for each game an unvaccinated player misses because of local COVID-19 vaccination mandates. So what does that mean for Kyrie Irving? This is what it means. Kyrie would lose $380,000 per game. So it would be about a little bit more than $15 million if he doesn't get vaccinated at any point this season and he misses every home game for the Brooklyn Nets or in the state of New York. Obviously, if you're playing the Knicks or you just have a home game in Brooklyn. Uh, Michael and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, and I know a few other people were chiming in, Brad Turner from the LA Times. I think we all think that Kyrie Irving is eventually going to get vaccinated. I think we all believe that he is. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe I'm right. I have no idea. I do know Kyrie Irving said, I know that I'll be there every day no matter what, and just to be present for my teammates as one of the leaders on this team and be there for my growing tribe off the court. I know the focus has to be at an all-time high, no distractions. This is the last thing I want to create. 
was more distractions and more hoopla and more drama around this. I'm doing my best to maintain this with good intentions and a good heart. We'll see how things kind of unfold. Um, I, I do think that, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, uh, Kyrie Irving kind of understands, you know, this opportunity of playing with the Kevin Durants and the James Hardens and the Blake Griffins and LaMarcus Aldridge and Paul Millsap and Patty Mills. Go down the list of how stacked that, that roster is. Maybe he gets vaccinated. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe, you know, the basketball part of this is an incredible priority to him, plus the financial, uh, the financial part of it as well. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I, the only thing I could kind of gauge out of all this, I don't think Brooklyn wins a championship without Kyrie. Still very early. We haven't even started. You know, we're one preseason game in. We'll see how things uh, eventually pan out for Kyrie Irving. Um, okay, so there was also another story here. We got some updates here on some of the injured stars around the NBA. Uh, again, another story on ESPN. And they're just giving updates on some of these key players for some of these different teams. And I'm just going to focus on the Western Conference for a quick second. So Jamal Murray. Uh, let, let me point this out to the Western Conference. The Lakers are the team to beat. There's some teams in the West, if they can get healthy, make a make, maybe make a move or two then they think they could go up, at least give the Lakers a fight. And the Lakers, what have you done? You haven't even played, you know, obviously you got 11 new guys on the team. You're trying to integrate Russell Westbrook. So the Lakers got a lot to prove too, and they'll get the chance to do that as the season, you know, gets started. One of the, the main players that's out right now is Jamal Murray from the Denver Nuggets. So he's got a torn left ACL. Uh, that happened back on April 12th. They were playing, I want to say it was a game against the Golden State Warriors. So here's the latest on his return. No timetable. He continues to progress, and the Nuggets medical staff is thrilled with his rehab so far. I'm reading this uh, verbatim here. He'll come back when he's ready, not when we tell him, not a date on the calendar. This is the president of basketball operations, Tom, uh, Tim Conley said, according to the Denver Post. So you're kind of waiting to hear a little bit more back on Jamal Murray. There is no timetable. He got injured on April 12th. Um, I've read different things. You know, some of these ACL injuries, it's could be 9 to 12 months. I think it's a timetable. You've seen some players come back before that. Okay, here's another player. Kawhi Leonard tore his ACL. Typically, 8 to 9-month recovery is what we were reading, but he's ahead of schedule on his rehab, has not been completely ruled out uh, coming back this season. The Clippers are also in no rush to bring him back. They want to play it safe. And the last one I want to mention, Clay Thompson. So I guess this is kind of, you know, these are three key players to all three of these organizations. The progress on Clay Thompson is, I'm going to read something off here from uh, Warriors General Manager Bob Myers, said recently that the organization doesn't want to put a firm date on Thompson's return after two serious injuries, but noted that the organization is hopeful that Thompson will come to the team in December or January and say he's ready in, con in consultation with the Warriors medical staff. So, you know, these are three such critical pieces to the Western Conference. I want to see Jamal Murray back. I want to see Kawhi back. I want to see Klay Thompson back. Um, these are all very, very likable players that have had a tremendous amount of success. So to just kind of add to what the Western Conference has, some of the competition in the West for the Los Angeles Lakers, maybe, just maybe, these players can make some type of return this season. Certainly Klay Thompson looking more uh, the most likely of coming back or trying to come back by December or January. Do the pregame show on Wednesday with Michael. I'll ask him a little bit more about that, but those are some of the 
the injured stars that are trying to make a return for their team. So kind of an update from that perspective. Okay, the last thing I want to do here in our top NBA stories. NBA is officially back. You know, yesterday the only game in the NBA was the Lakers and the Nets. And today you go to NBA, you go to ESPN.com or NBA.com, you click on scores, you got all these games back. So we're officially back. You're going to start getting a lot of these games. And I think, uh, you know, certainly that's something to look forward to if you're uh, if you're a Los Angeles Laker fan out there. All right, those are our top NBA stories. A um, couple things I want to do when we come back. Number one, at 830, Jovan Buha. Um, he's got a great article on some takeaways from that preseason opener against the Nets. He's going to come on at 830. And coming up next, you know, this is an interesting one for me. Mark Jackson was on the um, uh, Shannon Sharp's podcast. And he was talking about the 2000 NBA Finals. You know the 2000 NBA Finals, the Shaq and Kobe era? He had some interesting things to say about how he thinks um, that NBA Finals would have played out if, buts, all these uh, kind of things being thrown in the air. I want to play that clip when we come back. Uh, appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Stay right here. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, good game there at uh, SoFi Stadium. 21-14, the Chargers with a seven-point lead over the Raiders. Raiders just miss a field goal, so uh, Chargers will get the ball back. Uh, still, I want to say late third quarter, maybe early fourth quarter. I appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Jovan Buha coming up at 8.30 does a fantastic job covering the Lakers for the athletic, so we'll break down a little bit of what we saw yesterday and also kind of look ahead for the Lakers. So i got to play this clip. Um, you know, this is the great thing of doing this show, doing Lakers talk. There's always some type of Lakers stuff that comes out, and uh, this is a perfect example. So um, Shannon Sharp does a podcast called the Club Shay Shay Podcast. He's actually had some good guests on him. I'm a fan of his. I think he's always been fantastic at what he does. He had Mark Jackson on. Uh, Mark Jackson obviously calls a lot of these big games for ESPN on the NBA front, and they were talking about back when the Lakers played the Pacers in 2000, Kobe and Shaq era. Oh, that's my era. You know, that's you know when when people ask me, hey, what, "What's your favorite Lakers era?" I'm like, I'm, I'm the Shaq Kobe guy. I'm the guy that loved watching. It wasn't even just the wins; it was the losses in the 90s, where you know they're using guys like Eddie Jones and Van Exel and Anthony Peeler and Sedale Freed and Eldon Campbell, all these kind of random dudes. And then they get you know they draft Kobe Bryant. Uh, they obviously sign Shaq in free agency. Derek Fisher is the same. So all this happened in 1996, and Lakers go through some losing seasons with Dell Harris, and then finally. Uh, Phil Jackson comes and order is trying to be restored in uh, Los Angeles Lakers in the in the Lakers world. So Mark Jackson was a part of that 2000 Indiana Pacers team. Let me play this real quick. He was asked about that matchup with the Lakers back in 2000 of whether he thought that the Pacers were good enough to beat the Lakers. Take a listen to this. We should have won. Uh, they beat us. Yeah, should have beat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we it was a two-three-two. Yeah. Uh, so we had. We won the game three, and we lost game four in overtime. Right. Shaq fouls out, and the late, great Kobe Bryant 
single-handedly takes over the game in the fourth quarter in overtime. And I mean, we did everything we could. I can remember saying to Reggie Miller because he hit a couple of shots, I'm like, let me get him. I'm just foolish thinking right. I could do something. But I'm not thinking I'm going to stop him. I'm thinking I'm going to hammer him one good right. time and send a message and get him out of his rhythm. I hammer him. Nice. Basket and one. He's at the line. I'm like, Reg, you got him. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't working. But, but we were good enough because we had depth at the power forward position. Yeah. We had a, 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 a center that was a weapon that can take advantage of Shaquille O'Neal's flaws, the ability mm-hmm. to defend the pick and roll. Right. So every time in the pick and roll, we're going to get a shot off of Rick Smith yeah. where he's a jump shooting big man that can post up and score. So we were a perfect matchup. Jalen Rose, 6'9", versatility at the, at the small forward position. Chris Mullen. So we had the depth and the versatility. At the end of the day, they had two dudes that was unstoppable. All right, that's Mark Jackson right there. I mentioned Shannon Sharp's podcast, Club Shay Shay. Um, okay, this is where i got to kind of take a step back here. You know, I get confused when he says, uh, oh, no, we should have beat them. And then he says, well, they just had two players that we couldn't stop. Uh, those two players were the two best players in the National Basketball Association. Um, let, let me let me give for those who don't know how dominating Shaquille O'Neal was in that series. Shaquille O'Neal, six games, right? Six games for the Lakers. And I'm going to go back to that game he's talking about with Kobe, where Kobe took over after Shaq fouled out. Shaq averaged 38 points, 16.7 rebounds, uh, 2.7 blocks, couple assists, a steal, a shot. What do you shoot from the field? 61% from the field. Um, played 45.7 minutes on average in the series. Let's just say I think that probably is the definition of unstoppable. Uh, so to answer the question, Shaquille O'Neal was unfreaking stoppable in that uh, in that NBA playoffs run against the Indiana Pacers in the finals. He was unstoppable for three, four straight years in the NBA. Um, and then the game that he's talking about, Kobe Bryant. So Shaq fouls out in that game three or game four, I want to say. Shaq fouls out. Kobe that game plays just under 47 minutes, goes 14 of 27 from the field, uh, ends up with 28 points for the Lakers, shoots over 50%, five assists, four rebounds. He had that. I don't know if you guys remember those highlights in that game. Uh, Kobe would throw the everybody just kind of calm down for a quick second. Don't worry. I know Shaq fouled out. Let me come in here and let me handle things. Let me take care of things. Everything's going to be fine with the Lakers. That's what happened. I, I find it kind of comical, to be honest with you. And I listen, I enjoy listening to Mark Jackson and those broadcasts. And I look forward to playing this clip from Michael Thompson when we get to the Lakers pregame show on Wednesday before the Suns. Because when I hear, you know, I, I remember that series. Once the Lakers beat Portland, they beat them in seven games. Everybody knew, okay, it's over. You win the Western Conference, you're going to win the NBA Finals. For anyone to make a case, I'm sorry here. I kind of find it comical. Anyone to try to make a case that uh, that the Indiana Pacers were going to beat the Lakers back in the Kobe and Shaq days. And, oh, by the way, that's also uh, Glenn Rice is on that team, Ron Harper, Robert Ory, Rick Fox, Derek Fisher, Brian Shaw. Go down the list, A.C. Green of players that were, you know, obviously helping the Lakers win uh, that, that specific championship. Uh, Mark Jackson, appreciate the confidence. Love the confidence. There was no Pacers team that was going to go take down the Los Angeles Lakers back in 2000. Uh, just my quick thoughts on that. And anytime I find, you know, everybody's got these podcasts now, so we always get great content. That's an interesting piece of content that uh, content that I completely, completely disagree with. Okay, coming up next, Jovan Buha. 
um, has a nice piece right now in uh, The Athletic. Some of the takeaways from that preseason opener versus the Nets, uh, I'll ask him what it was like covering a game with 16,000-plus fans again. Um, the AD portion of yesterday playing without some of the other stars being a part of uh, that action yesterday. All that coming up next. Uh, appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Stay right here. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, if you uh, miss any part of the show, you can always download the full two hours every Monday night, 7 to 9 p.m., ESPN app or on iTunes. Just search Lakers Talk with Alan Sliwa. Stu Lance, nice enough to join the show at 7.30. And I want to welcome in a frequent guest of Lakers Talk, Jovan Buha, uh, covers the Los Angeles Lakers for The Athletic. Jovan, what's going on, man? Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me on, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I, I, a couple things I, I want to, and I got a chance to read your article, some of the takeaways uh, in The Athletic here from uh, yesterday's preseason opener, opener versus the Nets. Um, real quick, before I get into the actual game, uh, fans back in the arena. What do you think? Did it feel? Uh, did it finally feel a little bit normal? It's been a year and a half since you had that many fans. Even in the playoff game, I think the Lakers were capped maybe seventy five hundred or eight thousand, something like that. What What did you think of the environment yesterday? It, it felt like a normal game, and not just for for us in, in the media having the fans back, but being able to get near the court again and go to the Chick Hearn press room, and you know, just just walk around the bowels of Staples Center. It felt basically like a normal game minus not being able to go into the locker room. So it, it was nice. It was, you know, it was a, a slice of normal in what has been an odd year and a half. Jovan, what, what, what'd you take of AD yesterday playing? Uh, obviously LeBron doesn't go. Carmelo doesn't go. Russell Westbrook doesn't go for Brooklyn. All their main stars, uh, don't play, including Blake Griffin. And, you know, to, with the, with the, the three superstars that they have, what do you think of AD trying to get some, uh, some run in and, and play in that first quarter? I thought it sent an important message that AD has the right mindset heading into the season. I think if you look at him embracing playing the five, which is something that, you know, fans have been clamoring for really going back to even New Orleans, uh, but definitely since he's been in LA. Uh, but, you know, I think his physique looks, you know, he's in better shape. Uh, he's talked about how he was able to, to kind of do his off season rest and then really ramp up over the last three months, heading into training camp, something he wasn't able to do before last season. Uh, and then him playing in the first game when he could have easily sat out like LeBron and Russ and, and Melo and, you know, I just I like that from AD. I think that he has a sour taste in his mouth because of the way that last season went. You know, he averaged career lows across the board in multiple categories, and he seems to be motivated and, and hungry to uh, just turn that around. And I, I think have about a big bounce back season, if not a career year in LA. So uh, I think all indications are that AD is taking this season very seriously from the jump, and I think that's an important sign for this Lakers team to get off to a good start. Yeah, I kind of feel like he's, um, 
you know, maybe this is the right way to put it, kind of taking it personal. And I, when I say that, and, and mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, I think that the, the is MJ advantageous. <laughs> What's that? Is it the MJ meme? <laughs> yeah, listen, it's uh, it, when 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 you look at a guy as talented as Anthony Davis, and there's still so many storylines about him, and so quickly people forget. Hey, he was you know obviously an unbelievably key piece of winning a championship less than a year ago. But I, I almost feel like this is advantageous for the Lakers, and if you're a Laker fan out there, you kind of like, okay, well, ESPN does a ranking. Where's AD? He's number nine. Okay, he was number two the year prior going into the season. Um, uh, kind of the chatter about, okay, well, is he ready? Is his body ready? Is he coming into training camp fit? I mean, a lot of question marks that are going to AD that I, I think this will only be when the dust settles. If if Anthony Davis, who I think is as set up as any player in the league to have success, especially because LeBron and Russell Westbrook will set him up. Rondo's there as well. You got two other centers that are more than willing to play that position. If AD is not going at the five, I, I don't know who's set up better than Anthony Davis. On top of that, he's such a skilled player. So I, I think there's a, a lot of uh, very valid with some of your points on AD. Yeah, and I think him playing the five is going to unlock the best version of him. We've seen it over the past two seasons. The Lakers' best lineup statistically have been 80 at the five. His individual numbers have been better at the five if you compare his per-game averages at the five versus at the four. So, uh, as you said, adding Westbrook, bringing back Rondo, uh, just having some more playmakers. We, we saw some of that against the Nets. Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk. I just think all that is going to open up the floor for AD to operate. When he's one-on-one, he can score on anybody in the league. So I think I'm expecting a big bounce back year from him. And again, I think this is probably going to be his best season in LA yet. Yovan Buha taking some time. He uh, covers the Lakers, beat writer for the athletic um, focus on Lakers basketball. Yovan, um, I, I kind of look at this and I know there's a lot of question marks, and I think the preseason will help kind of answer some of those questions. If you're going to predict, by the time we get to October 19th and the Lakers are playing the Golden State Warriors in the first regular season game, what do you think that starting lineup is going to be? I think the starting lineup is going to be Anthony Davis, Trevor Ariza, LeBron James, Wayne Ellington, and Russell Westbrook. That is something that The Athletic reported uh, last week. Uh, I had heard a, a similar lineup. Uh, and that to me kind of makes sense. It's just it, you're, you're blending, you're going smaller, 80 at the five. You're going to run a lot of 80 rust pick and roll, spread the floor out, uh, and then you have Ariza in the front court. He can handle some of those tougher wing assignments to, to let LeBron you know, rest defensively a little bit in certain matchups. And also, LeBron's a great help defender, and that's where he can really wreak havoc as as that guy coming over, blocking shots, contesting shots, you know, getting in the passing lanes and, and just being a force in the paint. So I think that makes a lot of sense, that kind of front court pairing. And then Wayne Ellington is the best shooter on the team. I know he didn't have the best shooting night against the Nets, but you know, this is a guy who shot 42% on seven threes a game last season. So I think he is a floor spacer. You need that alongside Russell Westbrook. And I actually was, was kind of impressed with Ellington defensively against Brooklyn. He had one play. Uh, where he, he stripped Paul Millsap on a double team, and, and I felt defensively, you know, just just was in the right places, but was trying at least, and you know, I, I thought it just kind of actually looked solid on that end. So uh, that to me makes the most sense. I mean, I, I guess you can maybe make an argument for Kent Bazemore, another guy who could defend more in the backcourt, and, and maybe he takes some of that pressure off of Russ 
because I do think Russ is, is probably going to take the primary assignments uh, more so than like Ellington. But uh, to, to me, it's, it's probably going small with 80 at the five, Ariza, and then Ellington at the two. Okay, so this is uh, this kind of I, I I I kind of look at this and I say to myself with the AD at the five position, I, I completely agree. Listen, for the Lakers, when AD is the five, um, obviously that that's the best lineup that they're going to get in most circumstances, most cases. I don't think anybody would really question that. Um, but do you think the Lakers would start AD at the five? That that's in, that part's interesting to me because I could see AD playing a lot more of the five. Six minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. It's a close game. You now want to offer a big disadvantage for the opposing team. Th- that one is that's a little surprising to me that with DeAndre with Dwight Howard that it's not taking more of a model of a season two seasons ago when they won that championship. So you, you feel, you think that, no, there's a much stronger possibility that you'd see AD at the five rather than, for example, DeAndre at the five and AD at the four. Yeah, I think if, if you go back to media day, one of the first questions lobbed at AD was, uh, you know, you, there was a report, which I believe they're referencing the athletic report mm-hmm. of, you know, there's a report that you're going to be starting at center. You know, is that true? What can you say about that? And he said, you know, that is the plan. You know, it, nothing set in stone, but that was the conversation I had with Frank. That that is the plan moving forward. He did couch it then, and I do wonder, based on DeAndre getting the start, uh, you know, against the Nets. Although I, I think that was just because all of their other fours were out. Sure. So you couldn't even really play AD at the five mm-hmm. uh, because there was no other option. Uh, but even looking at some of the practice footage that has gone out on the team's social accounts, DeAndre has been with the starters of it. And we, we know Frank preferred Dwight off the bench. I think he likes that, that energy and that physicality he brings with the second unit. So I, I do expect that if they do go to bigger lineups, DeAndre is probably getting the starting nod. But something that AD said that I think didn't get enough attention was, he, you know, he, he was like, there might be some matchups in which Dwight or DeAndre start, and, and then I play the four. And that, to me, kind of signals that there are probably going to be certain players or certain teams in which the Lakers do want to go bigger. You're looking at uh, Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid or uh, you know Jonas, even a Jonas Valanciunas, who is someone that just kind of gives everybody problems inside. Like those matchups, maybe you want to go with a DeAndre or a Dwight and kind of beef up your front line. But I think for 80 to 90 percent of the league, you can get away going a little bit smaller have an 80 at the five and really putting teams in a tough bind because most centers cannot guard Anthony Davis, especially if he's out on the perimeter, take, you know, facing out, taking them off the dribble. So I think you kind of saw that a little bit in the Nets game. Uh, obviously it was a bit rusty, missed a couple jumpers, but uh, in those instances in which the Lakers were able to really space the floor and give him that room to operate uh, around the elbow, around the block, he was cooking guys and, and you know, got an and one, had another shot that should have been an and one and, I thought looked good. So uh, I, I do think that we, we might see a, a kind of hybrid starting lineup situation where certain matchups, it is 80 at the five, certain matchups, maybe it's DeAndre. Uh, but, but I think, again, that it's kind of TBD. And one thing we know about Frank is he's going to play the best players. And, and, you know, I think for the most part, like he's shown who, whoever deserves to play is probably going to play. And he's not afraid to make unpopular decisions. And uh, so who knows, maybe, maybe the starting lineup ends up being different and I'm wrong, but, as of now, that, that is kind of what I've been told, and, and I think that's that's the way I'm operating, is that AD is the starting five uh, going into the season. 
Jovan Buha's got a great article right now in The Athletic. Takeaways from the preseason opener versus the Nets. Obviously, we're also kind of looking forward to the Lakers. Um, Jovan, complete the sense for me. The biggest or the toughest competition in the Western Conference for the Lakers is who? The Phoenix Suns. Uh, I think they, to me, are the second-best team in the West. I do think in the scenario that Kawhi Leonard or Jamal Murray comes back and gets back to their all-star level selves. Hmm. I think it's maybe the Clippers or the Nuggets. You know, we, we saw this Nuggets team make a conference finals run a couple of years ago, obviously played the Lakers. Um, and, you know, we, we saw even last season make a, a conference semifinals run without Jamal Murray. That's right. And I, I think the bracket kind of broke in their favor. They, they played Portland. Uh, but I think Denver is right up there in, in terms of the best in the West, went, went fully healthy. The Clippers, I mean, they made a conference finals run, beat Utah uh, w- without Kawhi in those last couple of games. I think they're still right there uh, w- with a really deep team. So I do think if everyone's healthy, I would probably say the Clippers uh, or, or maybe like Clippers 1A, Nuggets 1B, kind of right there, you know, neck and neck. But given kind of the current landscape of the West, I would say Phoenix. Um, you know, I like them more than Utah. I know there's a lot of people that really like Utah. I'm kind of out on Utah uh, with, with just some of the playoff shortcomings they've had and, and not just not going as far as we think they should go, but really collapsing. I mean, they, they blew that three one beat to Denver in the bubble. Then they, they, they couldn't beat a Clippers team without Kawhi Leonard. Uh, so to me, there's just something in the water there in Utah that I just, I think that mix isn't going to, to work come playoff time. So um, to me, it's, it's, it's Phoenix. I give Golden State an outside shot. And, and that's kind of the thing with the West is that I really don't know who the biggest challenger is. Again, I'm, I'm saying Phoenix, but, I think there is a gap between the Lakers and the rest of the West, and uh, you know I, I don't. I think people don't want to you know say that or, or believe that, but I'm really looking at it, and like I just don't see who's strongly going to challenge them in a seven-game series, unless it's Kawhi coming back and being himself, or Jamal Murray coming back and being himself. Um, I do think there's a bit of a gap there, but as of right now, with the way things are looking, uh, I would say Phoenix. Yeah, listen, I, I think there's definitely tiers to the Western Conference. Lakers are on a tier of their own. And, you know, something you mentioned there, between Clay Thompson, Jamal Murray, Kawhi Leonard, I, I talked about those three players a little bit earlier in the show. Um, those are obviously significant players for um, really good teams in the Western Conference. So we'll see how that kind of comes into play, their injuries throughout the uh, rest of the season. Uh, Jovan Buha, one more for you, and I appreciate you taking the time to join the show. What, what do you think we should expect the rest of the preseason from the Lakers? When do you think we start seeing some of these main key players uh, a part of the mix? And, and, and for the Lakers, there's still a lot you still obviously have to figure out if you're the Lake Show uh, before you get to the regular season, uh, the the uh, beginning of the regular season. It, it sounds like Frank uh, was implying that the Lakers are going to play the final two games of the regular, uh, I mean, uh, of the preseason with a regular rotation. So I would be on the lookout for that. Um, I, do, I don't know how much we can really take away over the next three games. I do expect Russ and LeBron to make their debut either in Phoenix or in Golden State. Uh, you know, I, I think it is about time that, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe one guy plays one of the games, the other guy plays the other game, and then kind of maybe game four is when we see. Uh, the, the, the big three play together for the first time. But uh, you know, this is kind of the, the way of the modern NBA. <laughs> Teams aren't just load managing in the regular season. They, they really look at 
know, if, if they don't value regular season games, they look at the preseason like, you know, th- this doesn't even count, right? Like, we're not even keeping track of the stats uh, for the most part. So I think expect that for the first three or four games. But, but come game four, game five, we're going to start to have a, a better idea of the rotation, who's playing well, who's not. And then kind of that game five, I think we'll actually see the projected starting lineup, whatever it is at that time, and then a projected rotation. Uh, but the most interesting th- thing to me is, is just the shooting yard race. And you, you have all these guys, like Malik Monk got some buzz over uh, the weekend from Dwight Howard and, and Frank Vogel. Uh, they, they call him the microwave for the way he's been heating up in these scrimmages. And he came out and led the Lakers uh, against the Nets with 15 points. And I thought it looked really good offensively, scored in a bunch of different ways, out of the pick and roll and transition, pull-up threes. Like, he, he was kind of doing it all. Uh, but Kendrick Nunn looked pretty good, too. And then Taylor had that dunk and that deep three. And uh, Wayne Ellington hit, hit a few, you know, long-range shots. So I just think this shooting guard competition is fascinating to me because you can really make a case for or against multiple players. And really just looking at the, the, the minutes and the rotation, one or two of these guys is going to be on the outside looking in and not really you know, having a role because you can't play 13 guys a night, right? You're going to play 10, maybe 11 at the max. So there's going to be one, two, or three guys in this rotation that are expecting minutes that probably aren't going to get it. I thought that might be Malik Monk, but with the way he's playing, he might you know, play himself into a role off the bench. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see the next three or four games, which guys are, are shooting the ball well, which guys are you know, rebounding, who, who's playing well defensively, and who's really standing out uh, from the rest of the pack. Because right now I feel like they're all kind of on a similar level, and it's just who can kind of do those things along the margins to, to really stand out. Jovan, uh, greatly appreciate the time, buddy. Always appreciate the insight. You can uh, follow Jovan Buha on Twitter. By the way, uh, catch him on The Athletic, but uh, at Jovan Buha on Twitter – I appreciate you taking the time, and I know you do the Forum Club podcast. If they want the podcast, where do they get it from? Uh, Wherever you get your podcast from, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, just search the Forum Club, and and we'll be there. Thank you, brother. Appreciate the time. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon. All right, that's uh, Yoban right there. Um, Okay, you know, he just mentioned something about Malik Monk. Malik Monk got some really, really high praise yesterday from Anthony Davis. So not only was he getting high praise over the weekend from Coach Vogel and Dwight Howard, and they're nicknaming him the microwave. I want to play this clip from AD talking about Malik Monk. And that battle for the number two spot, I think Yovan hit it on the dot. That is a fascinating spot. How about uh, also, that's interesting, if the Lakers start the season playing AD at the five, I'll be surprised if that happens, but it may very well. And you heard uh, Yovan talking about how they have kind of sl- – quietly indicated that that might be the case. We get into all that coming up next. Stay right here. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. Got a chance to uh, see Jim Hill on Saturday. Was nice enough to uh, invite me on their uh, Sports Central show they do himself, Beto Duran. So we got a chance to talk some Lakers basketball. Um, Lakers taking on Phoenix coming up this Wednesday. This is kind of an interesting game here. And I didn't know really the dynamics, but Lakers originally I think it was supposed to be a 7 p.m. tip-off. And then the game got moved to 3 p.m. Uh, 3 p.m. will be the tip-off. Pre-game show will start at 1.30. This is coming up on Wednesday. What makes this unique, so the um, the Phoenix Mercury has a game against uh, Las Vegas in the WNBA. So basically what happened, 
Um, the game got moved to accommodate the Phoenix Mercury to have their home game, uh, obviously in Phoenix. So that's actually pretty cool. I guess it's unprecedented. This never happened. A doubleheader between the Mercury and the Suns where you had a WNBA game and an NBA game. So pretty cool. But that, that's uh, the main reason why the uh, the game got moved. So Lakers will be a 3 p.m. tip-off. Uh, Travis and I will actually just do an extended show. So we'll start at 9.55. Then we'll go all the way till 1.30, and then Michael and I will do the pregame show, and we'll get you ready for uh, Lakers basketball preseason game number two. So a few things that Jovan mentioned. One of the things that he mentioned was um, one of the things he mentioned was Anthony Davis talking about Malik Monk. I know we're coming to the end of the show here. Let me play this real quick. Take a listen to Anthony Davis talking about Malik Monk uh, yesterday after the game. We're still surprised we got him. You know, to be honest, I mean, he's such a hell of a player. I mean, we saw what he did out there in the minutes that he played. Uh, he could score the ball on all three levels, uh, play hard, make the right reads. So I mean, he's going to be fun to have this year. Yes. I love uh, I love that part about Anthony Davis talking about, well, yeah, we just you know, stole him away. How the hell did we get this guy? Um, they This is one of the names I think a lot. Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk in the offseason – the veterans that you got for veteran minimums, I don't want to say they were less surprising, but, you know, you thought, hey, you can get a guy like Carmelo or maybe Dwight Howard wants to come back to the Lakers. Um, th- this one's an interesting one because Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn are supposed to be, especially Monk because he's going to make, you know, significantly less than what uh, Kendrick Nunn is making. Uh, they could be big-time role players for the Lakers, and they obviously are at a young age as well. They're hungry. People talk about the Lakers' age. Oh, they got, they're way too old. They're way too old. they got some young pieces, too. Add Taylor Horn Tucker into that mix. Don't forget, AD's only 28. Westbrook's 32. Wayne Ellington, I want to say, is 32. So there, there's, uh, to me, age has not been that big of a deal. But uh, Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk will certainly contribute for the Lakers. Okay, we're wrapping up the show right now. I'm back tomorrow morning with Travis Rogers starting at 9.55, so we'll talk Dodgers, we'll talk Lakers, we'll talk uh, Raiders in this Chargers game, so we'll do all that tomorrow. Appreciate everybody tuning in to Lakers Talk LA. As always, have a great rest of your night.